I don't know if you just want to give her a minute to join or if you want to go ahead and get started since we do have a quorum. So I was getting ready to ask you, do you have something you have to read first because part of this or because it's hybrid? Uh, yeah, we have that usual hybrid statement. I can read that off really quick. Okay, um, so let me just see. We've got Brad, Adam, John, Kate. Is there anybody else from the committee that's supposed to join besides Christina? Um, Kate Emerson is the last remaining commissioner. Um, I did not receive a confirmation or anything from the Zoom registration that she would be joining us today. Okay. Um, but I believe other than that, all other members of the, the committee are present in the room, in the Zoom room. Okay, and none of them are present in person, correct? No. Okay, um, let me see if Christina's joined yet. Got 21 now, so let's just, yep, Christina's in. So looks like we're ready to go. So um, do you read your thing first? It's been a few months, so. <laughs> yeah, we were having the same discussion earlier um, when we were setting up. Yeah, I can go ahead and read that. Um, and then I can just do a brief overview of the agenda today. Okay, that'd be great. Uh, yep. Um, so good afternoon. Sorry. Um, so good afternoon. Um, this meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and public access channel 25. Um, during the meeting, when you are not participating, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon in the lower left-hand side of the Zoom menu um, next to the video icon. Muting your microphone during the meeting will make it easier for everyone to be able to hear. Um, in some cases, I may mute or unmute people um, as needed to minimize distractions during the meetings. Um, you can turn your video camera on and off by clicking the video icon in the menu. Uh, for purposes of the public meeting, when you are participating in the meeting, please uh, keep your video on. And when you are not participating in the meeting, please turn your video off. Um, turning your video off uh, when you're not participating will help make sense about who is active, who is speaking um, at any given time. Um, and in some cases, I may turn someone's turn off someone's video um, if they're not actively participating to avoid any distraction. Um, all motions will be made uh, will need to be stated clearly. After a motion is made and seconded, the chair will call on board members individually to provide their vote. Uh, when public comment is sought on an item, individuals participating via Zoom uh, should use the raise your hand feature. Uh, Windows and Mac users can access this feature through the participants button at the bottom of their screen. Uh, individuals will be called upon um, by name in the order they appear on the meeting screen. Uh, when you're called on, please unmute your listening device, um, turn on your video and state your name before speaking. Uh, the chair will then call for any in-person public comment uh, for those without access to technology options. Uh, and then currently we have no one here, um, but just in case we'll direct them to use the podium and things like that if they need to. Um, so that covers the, the hybrid spiel. Um, let's go ahead and get to the agenda. Um, so the, the agenda today, um, like every other meeting, we start off by approving minutes. Um, and then today we also have a request from the Community Children's Center um, for industrial revenue bond financing um, to obtain a sales tax exemption. Um, we also have the 2021 um, Annual Economic Development Report, um, something 
We unfortunately haven't been able to get to you all before uh, today, uh, mainly because we do meet irregularly and we wanted to, uh, it is not as long of an item. So we didn't, in the best interest of everyone's time, we wanted to be able to wrap it into something else, but we do have that for you today. Um, so with that, Uh, Chairwoman, if you have any other items before we move into the first um, agenda of approving the minutes, we can start with that. All right. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, so the first item on our agenda is to approve the June 15, 2022 meeting minutes. I'm sure we can all remember that meeting. Um, does anybody have any comments or a motion or anything? Uh, Michelle, this is John Matthews. Uh, I'd like to make a motion to approve the minutes. All right. Any Michelle, it's, it's Brad Burnside. I would second. All right. So we do have a motion on the table from, made by John um, and seconded by Brad to approve the June 15th meeting minutes. So I'll do a roll call vote. Um, Brad Burnside. Aye. Adam Ritchie. Aye. John Matthew? Aye. Kate? Aye. Sorry, I, I, I went blank on your last name. Lorenz. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Christina, it's like Madonna. <laughs> yeah. uh, Christina Gentry? Christina Gentry. Aye, yes. Uh, Patrick Kelly? Abstain. Okay. And I am an I. So we have six in favor and one abstain and the motion passes. So thank you everyone. Uh, before we move to the next agenda item, uh, any questions on that? Oh, all right. So agenda item number one is to consider a request from the Community Children's Center for Industrial Reve Revenue Bond Financing to obtain a sales tax exemption on construction materials and labor to renovate their new service facility located at 346 Main Street, Lawrence, Kansas. So does the city want to speak on this first? Yeah, um, so uh, there we go. Too many screens, got to make sure I'm muted and unmuted. Uh, yeah, so we have a technical report that was included in the agenda packet. I can go ahead and do a brief overview of that. Um, I'm not. I'm not going to go into too much detail because I don't want to steal the thunder from you know the um, community children's center who is here today. So I will just do a brief overview of the some of the technicals. Um, so as far as the overview, um, the, it is a it is a project renovation. Um, so it's not a new construction; it's an existing building that they are going to be doing some refurbishments. Um, it's located at uh, 346 Main Street. Um, the Building size itself is 36,000, but the uh, renovation will only be on 15,000 square feet. Um, and uh, the Children's Center has some more details on where and what that'll look like. Um, the total capital investment for the project is estimated right now at $5.3 million. Um, they estimate um, adding 30 new full-time jobs uh, within uh, the first couple of years, first uh, one to two years. The estimated construction start date um, is January 2nd or, you know, shortly thereafter uh, of 2023. 
and they hope to have the facility operational by July 2024. Um, the project, uh, in terms of uh, the city's IRB review criteria, um, very similar to a lot of the community development projects um, you got uh, the board has seen before, uh, most recently the DACA project. Um, this does cover um, a lot of the same ground. Um, so we weren't really, uh, while there were aspects of economic development in terms of job growth and things like that, um, this project itself has some unique uh, components to it that we think um, will add maybe not uh, measurable value um, in terms of how we track it, but it will definitely add community value uh, intrinsically. Zooming out a little. Um, in the past, um, this is just a list of previously authorized IRBs. Um, currently, we have, in terms of community projects or outstanding nonprofit projects that have IRBs, um, we have the, the Heartlands um, Health Center, the Cedarhurst Living Center, um, which is actually currently under construction right now, and the DECA facility. Um, and then this is just a history of the matured IRBs we have for all of the other community development projects we've done in the past. Um, in terms of estimated sales tax savings, um, with the $5.3 million in estimated capital investment, um, the estimated sales tax on that project um, would be roughly $500,000. Um, this table provides a breakdown of exactly um, where that sales tax would, would have been distributed to, um, but is being foregone with the sales tax savings as part of that. Um, and with the IRB origination fees, um, similar to the DACA project, um, because this is a registered nonprofit, a registered uh, 501c3, um, it is the uh, city's city staff's recommendation that we forego the origination, the IRB bond origination fee. Um, so the table below just provides um, an estimate of savings on behalf of the organization and um, what could be seen as a loss on part of the city. And this is mainly just um, some actions. We, you know, we're here today to cover this, the, you know, perks portion. Um, and then afterwards, it'll go back to the city commission for their review and approval. Um, so with that, that, that covers our technical report. Um, unless anybody has any questions, um, I think we can go ahead and let the Children's Center go ahead and present. Sounds great. Who, who's presenting on behalf of the center? Uh, so representing the Community Children's Center um, is the Executive Director, Kim Paulson. Um, then she's also joined in the room um, by Brandon Dahl, who's their uh, main general contractor. And then online, we also have Steve Wise, um, who's the project lead from Bartlett and West. All right. So Kim and Brandon are in person and Steve is online. I see Steve. In the, okay. Yep. Great. Right. Well, it is your time. 
Thank you so much, and I appreciate being here. Again, I'm Kim Polson uh, with the Community Children's Center. I'm here to tell you a little bit about uh, the Early Childhood Community Center effort that is happening in our community um, and our work specifically towards that here in Lawrence and Douglas County. Um, but first I'd like to share a little bit about Community Children's Center and where we've been, where we've come from. Um, many individuals are not familiar with our organization and I wanna make sure that everybody's aware that we've been around quite a while. Um, a 501c3 in Lawrence since 1965. Um, we were founded through the work of Plymouth Congregational Church. Um, with their social action committee and then partnered with Plymouth Head Start and Community Children's Center to implement the Head Start program that still exists within their building. Um, and that happened in 1966. And um, if you'll recall, when President Obama visited town, that was one of the places that he chose to visit on his, on his trip to Lawrence. Um, in 2017, uh, we began to focus on a more trauma-informed model, uh, moving forward with other entities in our community and how um, trauma impacts early childhood. In 2018, as often happens, the federal government made a decision um, that had a direct impact on the Head Start organizational structure. The role that we played in terms of day-to-day -day management um, was actually eliminated in the org structure, and uh, that Head Start program became, went under the umbrella of ECAN, who is already serving as administrative support for eight other counties. So at that point, our board, our nonprofit board of directors had an opportunity um, to see what CCC could do at that point in time. How would things shifted and what gaps in early childhood systems existed where we might be able to fill those gaps, making it um, a stronger early childhood infrastructure for Lawrence. What do we value? I just want to give you a little bit of an understanding of where we are coming from, not only in the work that we do, but also as we approach um, the building of and renovation of 346 Main Street, um, wanting to make sure that this is a collaborative effort throughout our community, um, that the end product is, is inclusive in nature, um, and that we are honoring lived experience as we work through um, the process of getting stories and input from families and young children in our community. So I want to give you a little bit of a picture about early childhood care and education in Lawrence and Douglas County statistically. So everyone has um, a baseline understanding of, of the need that is in our community and how we'll then um, approach filling some of that need. So we know that there are uh, 7,362 children under the age of six, and these are Douglas County numbers because that's how it's reported to child care aware at the state level. Um, but we all know that the, the majority of those, a uh, significant portion are right here within Lawrence. For every one opening for a child under the age of three, there are 10 children who could fill that spot. We also know that the numbers of childcare facilities that are able to provide evening, weekend, or overnight care um, are 
very uh, low in our community. We actually only have one entity that can provide overnight care at this point in time. Um, obviously, there are some areas there where we think we might be able to provide additional support for our community. Uh, $13,628 for the average annual cost for an infant care in Douglas County and Lawrence, uh, more than the tuition and fees for the University of Kansas. We also know that we do not have enough early childhood care and education in our community. Um, out of 100 kids, there'd be spots for 47. The other 53 um, would be in a position where uh, they're Parents, caregivers would have to make some difficult decisions about how they were going to provide care for their child. Um, a lot of times that means um, one of the two parents or any caregiver um, leaving the workforce in order to do that. So overall, we know that our need for additional childcare slots is at almost 3,000. Um, if every parent who wanted and needed to engage in the workforce was able to do that. We know that one building um, is not going to solve all these problems, but we do know it can make a big impact. And the, and the more thoughtfully we approach this model, um, we'll see the impact um, ripple across our community. We also are founded in the work from the Community Health Plan to Reduce Poverty. Um, I was part of the process of the um, Children and Child Care Plank for the Community Health Plan to Reduce Poverty. And we have embedded those goals and strategies and objectives into our work as we move forward with the Early Childhood Community Center, because we know that we, the achievement gap is seen at uh, very early stages for income level and race, we can see this prior to kindergarten. And so addressing early care and education um, can go a long way towards uh, having positive impacts um, on future economic stability and reducing the disparities. This is the model that we're moving forward with. And again, this is not necessarily about one specific location. This is the model uh, conceptually for our entire um, county. And that is a four-pronged approach. One with the family-friendly workplace. We know that um, early childhood professionals can only do so much. Um, we also know that um, businesses and employers ha have an investment that they can make in our early childhood systems by adopting family-friendly workplace practices. The three-pronged model for the actual programming um, is a family resource center, which provides wraparound services for families with children um, five and under. Um, part of that strategy is the earlier we engage those families with those resources and our collaborative partners in the community, the longer they will have those resources available to them throughout their life and their children's lives. Um, we're definitely taking a multi-generational approach to our work in that we, we know we need to care for the children, but in caring for the children, we must also care for the family. Um, an early childhood professional support network. Uh, this is a means by which we can provide additional support um, for existing early childhood professionals in Lawrence, um, but also 
professionals by helping them walk through the process of establishing their own childcare facilities, going through the licensing process with KDHE, um, making sure that they've got access to high quality curriculum materials at no cost to them, and uh, just creating the most sustainable program they can as a young, uh, as a business owner and entrepreneur. Part of the way we're embedding this into the Early Childhood Community Center at 346 Main Street would be um, a business incubator model where emerging professionals could spend up to a year working um, within our child care facility and um, be in that supportive environment on the moment, uh, in the moment, coaching, mentoring, um, and then the support as they move out to establish their own early childhood facilities. Um, by doing this, we feel we'll be able to reach further across our community, um, but in doing so in a supported way and with those uh, quality standards that are with, would be within our building that will go with them as they establish their own facilities. So with childcare and education, um, we are planning on seven classrooms within the 346 Main Street that each of those classrooms could have between eight and 10 children. Um, some of that, if you're familiar with licensing regulations will be dependent upon the age of those children. But our intent is to focus first and foremost on infants and toddlers because we know it is the community's greatest need. Um, so we are looking to fill the, that gap that most um, early childhood centers and home-based providers may not be able to fill because it's not as uh, financially feasible to run your own business on, on a small scale um, with caring for infants and toddlers due to staffing ratios. I'll turn it over to Brandon, who's going to cover some of the project information, and then we'll um, have Steve join us virtually to talk a little bit more after that. Good afternoon. My name is Brandon Dahl. I'm with Dahl Construction on Lawrence, Kansas. Um, I wanted to just briefly go over our, our design and our timeline and our square footage cost right now. So we're about pl plus or minus 15,000 square feet on our involvement on the uh, project size. Um, we've given a preliminary cost of 5.275 million. And our design start date is, uh, is aggressive. We're wanting to get this facility open. Uh, right now we're in the design phase and discovery phase of this project. And so um, we're wanting to get demolition started in the month of December. And we want to do completion and oxy by January of 2024. Um, right now we're still in the design discovery phase. And so we, we have a square footage number. We don't have a detailed number set out just yet that is forthcoming soon. But uh, right now, um, Steve Wise and, and uh, Bartlett West will open it up to where we're in the design phase to kind of let you know where we're at with that discovery process so we can get our budget down to an itemized list for you folks to uh, take a little scrutiny over. But right now, um, the discovery phase is going quickly and I think we're moving along swiftly on it. And uh, Timberly French down the city has been most helpful with us going through this right now. She's our lead point down there. And after that, I'll turn it over to Steve Wise from Bartlett West to discuss the design phase. Yeah, and I will just, because you're controlling the podium oh. up there, Steve needs to, yeah. There we go. Yeah, yeah. somebody advances the slide, that will help. <clears throat> All right, so this is uh, Steve Wise, Bartlett and West. 
uh, working with Kim and Brandon on this. And so, as Brandon has indicated, um, the, the phase we're in now is the pre-design phase. And so what we're really spending a lot of time doing is the uh, code research, uh, but also really working with Kim to understand her program needs and uh, how we can make that function within this existing building. So uh, if you look at this floor plan, uh, and, and I will say this is still in development, but it gives you a fairly good idea. Um, the intent being that really the basement, there's not a lot of room, but the nice thing is there is an open area uh, that can be used for a commercial kitchen. So the bulk of the spaces will be provided on uh, the main level. It's not really second floor, but more the main level. Uh, but grouping the seven classrooms, as Kim indicated, uh, they're in that south portion with a medical suite uh, in a lobby. Uh, and then on the north portion where they have more volume, uh, we're looking at uh, a play community room and that really becomes your family resource center. Uh, so that's the play community room, uh, which can be used not only during the daycare hours, but possibly for um, after hours events as well. And then uh, offices and, and the intent with the offices is they are used for staff, uh, but they can also be meeting rooms where uh, families in a variety of sizes um, can meet and have private conversations. So uh, the intent is to have uh, both smaller and larger rooms uh, that can accommodate those conversations. So uh, the intent too is to also have a community store uh, and that would allow people to not only be able to buy um, some type of supplies, but also ready, uh, ready to go uh, meals uh, that can either be prepared off site or on site. Uh, so this gives you just a, a very high level uh, you know, at the plan we're looking at. Uh, and as you can see in the upper left, the diagram, uh, that's why it's about 50% of the building uh, is currently being uh, renovated for uh, this program effort. Uh, so if we uh, go to the next slide, please. And this just uh, provides everybody just a, a quick shot of the inside. And this is actually looking uh, in that uh, family resource uh, play area. So the intent is with the sloped ceilings, the volume, some clear story windows, uh, our goal is to really provide an open, inviting play area with a variety of surfaces for uh, the children to interact. <clears throat> so that gives you a high level, uh, again, of where we are with the plan, working with Kim uh, to get the program in place and uh, provide her with the facility that will allow her to accomplish her mission. And then actually next slide. So the other piece of this too to touch on as we go through the design, and, and this is just a very high list, but the intent is as we look at sustainability, uh, it's not so much about a checklist, but making this uh, a rewarding facility, one that we're you know dealing with low VOC uh, materials, uh, you know, uh, uh, recycling wherever we can, uh, but really focusing on the occupant comfort. So both for staff and children, uh, you know, the enhanced air quality, acoustics, access to daylight, uh, durable materials, but ones that are, uh, you know, easy to touch, uh, but easy to clean. Uh, so kids can, uh, you know, really use all of their senses in the space. So we'll be looking at uh, mechanical equipment, uh, how we can provide that, and then working uh, with Kim and Brandon on both the materials and just design to make this an inviting, rewarding space for everybody.
Okay, Steve, did you have anything else? Uh, I do not. Okay. Um, so that's uh, our efforts in a nutshell. Um, um, glad to take any questions, um, answer any questions if that's, if anyone has any they would like to ask, follow up. Thank you, Brandon, Kim, and Steve. Um, committee, what questions do we have? Kim, do you mind just unsharing so that we can see everyone's face up there? Oh, there I am. i sorry. I turned it off. So, all right. So, um, committee, um, it's opened up to your questions. Hi, this is Christina Gentry. Um, Kim, um, thank you for this uh, this presentation. And I also note that a lot of stakeholders were responsible in this collaboration, um, including uh, the chambers, Success by Six, um, the health department. And you did list um, through your presentation, um, you addressed a, a number of disparities, including I'm talking about racial disparities. I'm going to specifically go to that slide because you touched upon it, but um, being that I, I kind of um, have had a, I've watched this project from afar a little bit because I, I also used to have a, a history of, of childcare back in my past and I thought this is a really great project. So I was really happy to see the, the movement. But Kim, could you like go a little bit more into some of that um, the context and how this need of childcare um, and this pilot project was envisioned, uh, specifically diving into the racial disparities um, point, um, because I know at some point we, are, we were talking or there was talk about this project, um, and I say we, I don't mean me, I mean we collectively like our community, um, but we were talking about this project having a prioritized population and demographic, um, and it really touching on our uh, Black, Indigenous, and people of color, and how this project of the children who identify um, as BIPOC children and their families would benefit from employment opportunities and, and others, as, as well as the community as a whole. But I kind of want to really dive into the project's onus and how the focus population and the demographics was placed in there. And this kind of run us through a little bit of the data and the history and the context of how before this became a space available at 346 Maine, what the, the process was in discovering the disparities and understanding the real need um, in the focus population, the priority population of our community. And this is still, if this is still a prioritized population for this pilot project. So a two point question, really more of an address of, um, can you address the racial disparities and how you guys came to understanding this is a definite need um, before you got the main street building, but then also kind of, is it still a priority population that you envision in this process of moving um, children into this area, families into this building, and just kind of maybe what you still envision, Kim, uh, moving forward with this? Sure, absolutely. Um, as I mentioned, I was involved with the child care and children and child care plank of the anti-poverty plan, which um, as as Christine, I believe you were involved in that work as well. And many um, individuals in our in Lawrence and Douglas County were heavily involved in the research that went into informing the strategies, goals and objectives related to um, children and child care in that anti-poverty plank. Um, and that 
was prior to knowing that any building would be available for this type of purpose. Um, it was more an overall strategy for how we want to approach both from the child perspective as well as from the early childhood professional perspective to increase representation uh, of BIPOC family and families of color within those um, within the early childhood sector. Um, one thing we want to do is we absolutely are looking to increase wages, which we know um, is something that if if early childhood is is typically below a $12 an hour position. Um, and we know that historically that there have been a high number of of primarily women of color who have served in these roles. We know that looking at innovative strategies to increase wages within the early childhood sector will benefit that population as well as all early childhood professionals in our community. Some of the strategies we're looking at are collaborative relationships that haven't existed to date. And that includes bringing in our, our employers and our private sector to engage in a community investment with us because we do now know that um, early childhood care is an economic development driver for our community because people cannot go to work if they do not have childcare. So it's grounded in and based in serving families of color, but we also acknowledge that all families within our community have unique challenges from birth to five, um, other than any other point in their life. It's at a point in the life where there are not structures in place like a public school system in order to support those families to help break cycles of poverty and trauma. Um, so we are definitely pursuing from a, a perspective of how do we serve the most vulnerable and marginalized within our community. And we do believe that is our families of color, as well as our single parent families, um, wanting to provide resources and um, affordable Quality, high quality child care. Um, we also have taken that work and looked at um, in terms of breaking those cycles of poverty for families from the multi-generational perspective, um, knowing that we want to make sure that those families who have had historically um, been underrepresented and underserved, that we are able to, to meet those needs and create a space. We talked about this so much with um, the design build team about how we wanna make sure every family who enters the space feels like they belong and that they are welcomed within that space because we know that that first step in, even if it's to come in and play within that space, it's the first step toward a trusted relationship where we can then provide additional services for families to better support, particularly our, our BIPOC families um, and our families who are in a predicament in terms of, of potentially only having one caregiver um, providing for them. And we also are acknowledging our grandparents who are raising grandchildren as well, because we know there are some specific populations that need and deserve to have additional supports and access available to them um, as they raise the next generation. Thank you, Kim, that was very helpful. All right, any other questions? Hi, this is Kay. Uh, um, I just want to, no, no questions, just a general um, um, comment here. I want to say thank you guys for coming in today. What your work is um, 
un, unmeasurable um, and being able to address uh, generational um, generational poverty uh, for, for the families that you're hoping to um, support. So I just wanna take some time and say thank you uh, for being in the space today. Thank you, Kay. Thank you, Kay. All right, any other questions? Madam Chairman, uh, this is Brad Burnside. I would, I would move uh, that we adopt the city's recommendation for approval of this uh, sales tax exemption as presented. All right. This is Kay. I would second that motion. All right. That was Kay. All right. So we do have a motion on the table um, to approve the request from the Community Children's Self uh, Center for the Industrial Revenue Bond um, that was placed by uh, Mr. Burnside and seconded by Ms. Emerson. Um, are there any other questions uh, before we take a roll call vote? All right, I'm going to do um, a vote. Uh, Brad? Aye. Adam? Aye. John? Aye. Kate? Aye. Christina? Yes. Patrick? Aye. Okay. Aye. And I am an aye. So um, with uh, eight votes in favor, and we, do, we did pass um, to uh, recommend the approval of the industrial revenue bond financing for the community children's shelter. Thank you everyone on that. And thank you to our presenter, presenters. Thank you. Thank All right, you. Good. we look forward to seeing that. All right, and the next item on our agenda is uh, to review the 2021 Annual Report, Economic Development Support and Compliance. So I'm going to just pass it over to Britt and Sam. Yep, um, so I'm going to go ahead and share. Um, I'm just going to run through the presentation that was on the agenda today, not the full report itself. Um, Okay, there we go. <clears throat> um, yep, so as uh, Michelle mentioned, this is the 2021 annual report. Um, so although it is coming a little late in the year, um, this report is typically done um, and brought to the commission and PERC um, in May. So we, we typically do the year before. <clears throat> um, so what is the report? Um, it is a comprehensive review of all of our active economic development programs um, and participating projects. Uh, the full report itself covers um, our economic development program participants, um, mainly developers or individual companies, <clears throat> um, project performance, um, how well um, those projects are doing. Um, a lot of the times we, uh, a lot of our incentives involve um, tax abatements or tax reimbursements that um, the taxing jurisdiction still recover a portion of that. Um, so it's really looking at did the investment that the city made um, are we, are, is the city and the county still seeing a return on that in some way, um, as well as the economic development partner activities. Um, the city uh, engages work with the uh, Chamber of Commerce, uh, KU Innovation Park, um, the Small Business Development Center, 
and uh, Peasley Tech um, to kind of broaden our range of activities we can do. Um, so this report kind of covers uh, what they did over the past year um, and obviously the financials of that. Um, so why is this report needed? Uh, mainly for transparency. Um, we want to be able to provide the, the committee and the public um, a complete picture of, you know, who we're, who we're helping, <clears throat> uh, what kind of incentives they're receiving, um, and what the return to the city and ultimately the taxpayer is. Um, it also helps us at the city um, track and monitor uh, how well those things are going, um, as well as for, you know, general budget purposes, what do we need um, to account for next year and um, what kind of growth are we seeing in our own budget as a result of uh, the success of these projects? Um, it also uh, provides data for the community goals, mainly through our strategic plan. Um, a lot of the city's activities now revolve around that plan, so we want to make sure we're tracking that and providing those numbers to the public um, to see that we are moving the needle on some of the things that uh, we all found important through that plan. Um, so how is it used? Um, mainly to educate and inform you know, the city, the public, the committee um, about what uh, our incentives are, what do they do, how do they see a return. Um, again, supporting transparency, um, evaluating outcomes through the strategic plan, um, as well as uh, providing historical record of the economic development support. Um, it's one of the ways that we help determine um, what kind of projects, you know, maybe work best or uh, incentives or types of developments um, we see the biggest return on uh, either in financial value or in, in job outcomes or things like that. Um, so the economic development programs are split into two. Um, so we have pay-go or pay-as-you-go programs. Um, these are mainly um, property tax involved. Um, so we have property tax abatements, um, the industrial revenue bonds like we just discussed, as well as uh, neighborhood re uh, revitalization areas, tax increment financing, and transportation development districts. Um, a lot of these uh, run on what we call the increment of the tax value. Um, I won't go too far into that. I think we get into that a little later, but, um, and we also provide some direct support. Um, so these are the agencies that we had spoken about before, um, the Chamber, Peasley Tech, um, KU Innovation Park, um, these are a lot of the things you see on the bullet points are what, uh, what we um, see as like the governance model um, for what these other agencies can assist the city in doing. Um, so now we're just going to run through um, some of the progress for each of the, the PAYGO programs um, that we had discussed. Um, so these are the currently listed catalyst property tax abatements. Um, the catalyst program uh, is our is our kind of fast track property tax incentive um, for industrial property around the city, um, mainly in our in Lawrence Venture Park and East Hills Business Park, but as well as um, any uh, industrial general zone land in the city. Um, so right now we have a few um, new construction projects and a few expansions that are on our list of catalyst projects. Um, I would say our newest ones are the US Engineering and Standard Beverage. Um, those wrapped up pretty recently. Um, moving on to the non-catalyst property tax abatements. Um, we don't see, see this one quite as often, 
um, anymore because the catalyst is so popular, um, but we do have a few. Um, the grandstand project, um, their tax abatement wrapped up this tax year. Um, so next year, they will be fully on the tax rolls, um, which is one of the main benefits we see as part of this development um, is, uh, you know, we get maybe a reduced um, taxable value, but then after that, that abatement's up, the, the property fully comes on the tax rolls um, and all the taxing jurisdictions um, can fully realize that value. Um, for non-catalyst property tax abatements, um, there are a few um, compliance requirements. Um, apologies for the, the small text on there. Um, mainly their compliance is involved uh, with the cumulative uh, capital investment that they uh, put into the project, um, the amount of full-time employees that they hired um, over the course of the project. Um, they had to meet a minimum of the, the 2021 wage floor um, for the county. Um, as well as um, reach a target of employer-provided health care. Um, and so for the two, the grandstand project was just wrapped up and the sunlight uh, project, um, both companies did meet compliance last year. This is just an overview table of the, um, abate, the abatement um, amounts per year um, for a lot of our projects um, for the, on the, Left-hand side is the traditional abatements, and then the right-hand side, the bigger categories are catalyst abatements. Um, and you can see for U.S. Engineering, Van Trust, and Standard Beverage, um, the, the abatement period starts um, the tax year after the project is completed. Um, so for U.S. Engineering, they wrapped up earlier this year, um, so their first abatement year will be tax year 2023. Um, industrial revenue bonds, um, I don't think we're too unfamiliar with that, um, but just as a reminder, it's a, a conduit financing mechanism um, for uh, businesses or developers to obtain a property tax abatement or a sales tax exemption for project materials. Um, because of the way the, the statute is written, um, it is there's no liability on the city's portion uh, to purchase or pay back the bonds. Um, there's no obligation for the city to finance the project um, in any way. Uh, for neighborhood revitalization areas, um, this is one of those uh, property tax rebates that works on the increment. Um, and so it's, an, it, it's based on the incremental increase in property value subject uh, to the NRA rebate itself. Um, the base property tax value is shielded. Um, so whatever, um, whenever the rebate period starts, um, whatever the taxing jurisdictions had collected at that point in time, that we will at the very minimum, they will all receive that amount per year. Um, and as part of the NRA, as part of the statute, um, the city, county, and uh, school district each decide the level of their participation in terms of the percentage of rebate um, on their specific uh, mill levy. Um, for NRAs, uh, we have, sorry, we have a total of seven. Um, and so, um, in the report, you'll see we have uh, a long list of the, you know, we've, we've had some that are, um, you know, at least eight or 10 years old. So, but for the, the total of seven that we have right now, um, the total tax revenues realized um, combined for all of these projects right now um, is roughly $1.2 million. Um, and that number that you see on, on the left, that base value is essentially the collective tax uh, revenue that would have been collected if uh, the city had not provided the NRA tax rebate 
to redevelop these properties. Um, so because of uh, the city's involvement and participation, we've seen roughly an 86% uh, growth in taxable revenue from these properties. Uh, tax increment financing um, works on pledging future gains in sales or property tax, similar, essentially working on the increment as well um, to finance uh, improvements, which will result in tax gains. Um, different from the NRA, the TIF, uh, the, the tax increment financing mainly works on, on ground level infrastructure uh, improvements. Um, and so similar, uh, but similar to the NRA, um, it, it does work on the increment, the base property value is shielded. Um, and it is, uh, it is used to kind of defray some of the developer costs that are normally paid upfront. And then the reimbursement helps, um, helps them pay that kind of the debt service on their project costs. Um, currently, uh, we have three TIF areas. We have the downtown 2000 project, um, the Oriad, uh, which mainly covers the Oriad Hotel area um, next to the university, and 9th and New Hampshire, um, which covers uh, between the 900 and 800 block of that street. Um, the total distributions for all three of those projects over the course of their years is roughly a million dollars. Um, and then similar to the NRAs, uh, they, the percent participation from each district most of the time is not a full 100%. Um, so we do see on that increment, the city, the county, and the school district do see some increased value over the time. Um, so this is resulting in that, that $189,000 number you see at the bottom. That is the 5% that we attain for the... Uh, <clears throat> That's what the... Apologies, Britt's feeling a little under the weather, so we're just having a little making sure. Um, so for the TDDs, um, it's a special taxing jurisdiction, um, which adds uh, up to a 1% sales tax increase uh, for the TDD districts. Um, the, as the name says, it's mainly focused on creating transportation improvements. Um, so the TDD districts we have um, right now are the Bauer Farm um, Free State area over by Free State High School. The Oriad and the 9th and New Hampshire districts are a combination of TIF and TDD districts. Um, the distributions, you can see it's roughly $400,000 over the time. Um, and a little bit different um, for sales tax, um, the city retained amount for this, um, for the transportation development districts, um, mainly came through an agreement with the uh, 9th and New Hampshire district to uh, maintain a certain amount um, for uh, the arts common project. Um, so overall performance for these projects, um, we have roughly for every $1 spent um, from the public, uh, we see a, a value of roughly $6. So we're looking at you know a 600% um, rate of return on these projects. Um, with a total public investment of uh, $2.7 million and total private investment um, at roughly $16.7 uh, million. And then lastly, um, those direct support programs, those uh, agencies that we had talked about before, um, the city's uh, participation with each of these organizations is on the right-hand side, as you can see there. Um, and like I said, uh, like I mentioned before, these projects are mainly, uh, these agencies mainly help uh, the city in 
kind of achieving some of the activities that we wouldn't be able to normally do on our own with just our small team of Britt and I. Um, so for the committee and for anybody else in the public who sees this at a later time, um, you can find the report right on the city's website. Um, it'll be lawrence.org slash ed. Um, we recommend you go through the full report. It's a lot more detailed than the presentation we gave today, um, but we wanted to make sure um, everyone is able to see it in a more manageable form today. So. Great, thank you, Sam. Um, does anyone have any questions on the report? This is Kate Lorenz. I just wanted to say thank you for the more manageable uh, overview. That was really helpful. I appreciate it. Yep, no problem. Anyone else? Now, do we have to vote on making this presented to the city commission or was this just informational? Um, the way we did it this year, just because of the, the timeline, because we um, internally have a timeline to present it to the commission. Um, so I think at this point it would it was just to present to you all in the committee. Great. All right. Um, any other questions on the report before we move to public comment? I appreciate you guys putting that together. It was very easy to understand. So thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, are there any individuals there, Sam, for public comment? Uh, there's no one in the room. All right. Anyone online for public comment? All right. The only public comment I saw was the letter that came over yesterday for the project that we've already uh, voted on. Um, does anybody on the committee have any additional questions before we adjourn? I would just, uh, really quick, Chairman, I would just make a comment um, just as a reminder, um, our next uh, PERC meeting is currently scheduled for December 16th. Um, that is a Friday, so we do appreciate everyone being able to make that. Um, at that meeting, we will be discussing the crossing project um, presented by um, KU Endowment through the development corporation they formed. Um, that project uh, will be a tax increment financing district um, combined with a community improvement district, um, which we have not seen in Lawrence before. Um, so I did send everyone a while ago a, um, a review of our bond council who had presented to the city commission, a review of what both of those incentives are, what the process is like and what the, um, what the, how the mechanisms of those uh, improvements work. Um, I can certainly send it again, just so that everyone has it on there, but I would highly recommend, um, since we do have that, that we, we wanna be able to talk about the project as much as possible, rather than covering the details of what a TIF or a CID is that, that day. Um, so I would encourage everyone to go watch that presentation. And if you have any questions, please feel free to email Britt or I, we'd be happy to, um, catch you up to catch you up to speed before we we go into that meeting in December. Great. So we all have some homework um, between now and December sixteenth. Um, anything else for the committee? Questions? This oh, is Brad. This is Brad. I'd I'd move that we accept the report as presented. 
um, we don't have to vote on it, right, Sam? Sorry. I don't think it would hurt if they want to vote on it. Yeah, we don't think it would hurt just so that we have a, an item to put in the minutes for, for this meeting. Do you want to do that? All right. So we have a motion on the table from Brad uh, to accept the report as presented. Any seconds? This is Adam, I second the motion. All right. And I'll take the roll call vote. Um, Brad? Aye. Adam? Aye. John? Aye. Kate? Aye. Christina? Aye. Patrick? Aye. Kay? Aye. And I am an aye. So we have eight in favor to um, accept the uh, 2021 annual report for economic development support and compliance. So thank you for putting that together, City. And um, on that note, do we want to go ahead and adjourn or is there anything else for discussion? All right, then I deem this meeting adjourned. I hope everyone has a great Thanksgiving and we will be together again in December. Yep. Thank you very much, everyone. Bye, everyone. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.